Hi, this is John Anderson of the Minnesota Neurotraining Institute. You are listening to the NeuroNoodle Network podcast. Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology podcast featuring our neuropsychologists, Dr. Laura Jansen, Dr. Skip Wren, and Neurofeedback. Jay doesn't want me to say legend anymore, but he's a legend. This is a, an all-star cast that are more than happy to share their knowledge with you. You can find Dr. Laura at jansens.com. Dr. Skip can be found at drskipren.com. And Jay Gunkelman, well, there's only one Jay Gunkelman on Google. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the word out. If they can't hear us, we can't help them. My name is Pete, and today we're going to have another chat with another neurofeedback legend, John Anderson. He's a bio-neurofeedback trainer with the Stens Corporation. John, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Oh, we had you back in February. It was a great show. And now we have Jay Gunkelman on, uh, having the two of you just banter back and forth. I think that's going to be a treat. Or maybe I, I should be careful what I wish for. <laughs> <laughs> you know, John, I've gone through your trainings. Skip has gone through your trainings. Uh, Dr. Laura has gone through your trainings. But for the new people that didn't hear the February show, can you give us a little background on you, John? Well, I started doing EEG biofeedback in 1974 with an addiction program in Minneapolis and uh, was fascinated by it. But uh, at the end of a year, they realized I didn't know what I was doing, so they fired me. <laughs> and uh, that was a good incentive for me because I started studying and learning and, you know, the rest is sort of history and kept, I was, I was thinking about it sort of tooth and nail, keeping myself in, in the biofeedback and neurofeedback field when there really wasn't any, there weren't any jobs. I mean, there was no, how do you do biofeedback and neurofeedback if nobody will hire you? So I carried my gear around in a couple of big suitcases, a couple of old autogenics systems, amplifiers, beautiful walnut cabinets and, you know, worth their weight in a walnut. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, so then uh, I started teaching for Stens in 2000, and I've been teaching for them ever since. And uh, recently I've hooked up with uh, Fred Schaefer and John Davis of uh, Biosource Software, and we're putting together some educational material. And we've got a couple of uh, test practice programs, one for the neurofeedback uh, BCIA exam and one for the QEEG test uh, called the QEG 100. Uh, and we've got over, what have we got? I think we are up to 130 10 question tests so far for that. And so it's, and it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. It, it forces me to read all the material. I mean, I was I was thinking I was going to retire, and then I wouldn't have to read any more of this stuff. So nothing quite like teaching to make you learn the material in exactly. a, in a deeper way. Yeah. Yes, um, you know, you know, people are going to be asking questions from all <laughs> angles, and so you you've, you got to be able to bat it back from whatever angle it's coming in from. And, yes, uh, yes. I, I I've I found uh, the uh, the the teaching actually ends up. Uh, making the information more solid uh, uh, in, in your mind than, than yep. it was before. So I agree. I agree. And I have to say that uh, one of the uh, presentations Jay did at uh, ISNR in 2005, he did a presentation on uh, uh, cortical gradient, uh, the slow cortical potential. And, 
and uh, its association with consciousness. And that really stuck with me for a long time. And I've uh, put together a, a couple of screens that uh, in the Nexus Biotrace system to uh, sort of emulate that, what he was talking about there. I, we do, uh, the folks in Tübingen in Germany have done the slow cortical potential training for migraine and seizures and ADHD and that sort of thing. But I was thinking, well, based on what Jay, Jay was talking about in that presentation, this guy that he showed a picture of up on stage that stuck skewers through his body uh, had turned off that part of his cortex. That's what, that's what Jay said about it. And I thought, well, how about if you could just teach somebody to turn off their whole cortex so then you wouldn't have thought and it would not be an interesting experience. And so uh, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. And uh, what people report is that they just really are, they're, they're present, but they have an absence of, of conscious thought uh, when they do this. And so that's all based on Jay's stuff. So thank you, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can thank Kawakami for showing me his trick. Um, you know, he, uh, uh, Kawakami is a, a Kundalini expert from Japan and at a meeting, a BFE meeting, uh, Biofeedback Federation Europe, um, or Foundation Europe, I guess, they, they, they brought him in. And uh, they had previously uh, recorded an EEG of him doing his skewer through the neck uh, thing and a skewer through his tongue. And uh, in Hassel, Belgium, at the meeting, uh, the press was there, and they wanted to videotape his, uh, his demonstration. So <laughs> the you know, press are younger folks, and he's he's in his seventies. He's really quite an impressive guy. He was a, a martial arts uh, a fellow earlier in his life, so he's, you know, really uh, quite powerful. And uh, they they came up, and since he was going to stick skewers through his neck, they examined his neck and made sure there wasn't like pre-punched holes or something. And then they wanted to examine his tongue, so he he grabbed his tongue and pulled his tongue out so they could see there wasn't holes in his tongue and. So he was wagging his tongue at the press and laughing. And, uh, but uh, they, they projected all of his physiology on the wall behind him. Uh, so you could see a, a electrodermal and EMG and heart rate, you know, all, all of the various things, including some EEG. And since I had already seen his EEG uh, that, that was recorded by Eric Pepper and, and uh, Vieta, uh, Sue Wilson, uh, I, I basically saw where he uh, shifted he, his slow cortical potential go electropositive, which mm -hmm. turns off the cortex in that area. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he does the stick and then turns back on the cortex. So he's basically not there when he does the stick. And so he doesn't have an experience of it. And there's no reaction. I mean, it, you can get an electrodermal reaction by snapping your fingers next to somebody and mm -hmm. waiting a couple of seconds, you see the electrodermal go crazy well yeah he stuck skewers through his neck and his tongue and there wasn't any change so uh he, he literally had no response to the quote pain because there wasn't any and um uh, so i i learned from the master just by looking at his data and uh so we were introduced as um i'm the one who figured out how he did it and so he did a big waist deep bow I get self-conscious. I hate that state. So I would avoid him like the plague in the meeting and he would be clean across the room. And if he saw me, he would do a deep bow. 
And uh, <laughs> so I, like, I, got, I was scurrying around just trying to, to uh, stay comfortable. And, and here he was pestering me. Uh, so they, they did their demo and uh, then they did a tea ceremony and uh, they whisk up the tea and uh, it's, it looks like uh, a bad lake water or something. You know, it's mm-hmm. just all green, slimy and uh, not my favorite sort of a thing to to be drinking but he whipped this up and he comes through the crowd with the first cup of that plus his sugar thing for me to have and so it it was it was quite an honor to to have met him yeah uh, but it sure did make me uncomfortable you know so but it it, it was a fun circumstance to see him do it in front of the crowd Um, people realized that this wasn't just some uh, fakir from uh, India uh, doing a trick um, this was actually something that uh, he had learned uh, through um, lots of torturous uh, uh, circumstances. They, they stand under an ice cold uh, waterfall uh, to, to learn how to tolerate, uh, um, essentially turn off sensation. And um, uh, lots of being whacked around with sticks and stuff. So it, the, the process of learning it was really quite difficult. Uh, somewhat like uh, uh, Schwartz, Jack Schwartz. I don't know if you remember him from sure. the 70s, yep. the Aleutian or Luthian Foundation or something. He uh, uh, he had been a, a tortured uh, World War II uh, prisoner and he learned how to turn off pain. And he also did, you know, sticking himself with skewers and things like yeah. that to, to demonstrate the lack of pain. But it's, uh, it, it, he learned it also from having to escape uh, the, the experience. Deep in the brain, in, in the periaqueductal gray, uh, there's a spot that you can turn on endogenous cannabinoids and endogenous opioids to turn off pain. And if it's severe enough, you actually have a kappa opioid, uh, which can end up creating a dissociation. So you actually are separated from the experience entirely. So the, uh, there, there's actually neurological mechanisms that, that account for this experience of during essentially trauma, you can escape from the experience of the trauma. So nowadays you see trauma therapists working with people that have experienced trauma to the point where they're, uh, they're dissociating. It's viewed as a pathological circumstance for them, uh, not like Kawakami uh, who, you know, he was tortured, basically, uh, deliberately uh, as, as a, a learning mechanism, but he learned how to turn off sensation um, uh, due to kind of a brutal training technique. But, you know, uh, uh, meditation centers aren't always um, uh, health spas. Um, uh, that, that was actually a statement from a Zen center, uh, they, they asked about uh, the people who were slowing their heart rate down um, and uh, slowing their breathing down. And the fellow was doing one breath a minute hmm. as a demo and try doing one breath a minute sometime for a few minutes. It's, it's pretty tough. <laughs> this, this is not a good move. His, his EKG was going crazy. And Sue Wilson, who was observing that they all and Eric Pepper as well. They said, "Well, th- this isn't a, a good thing. His his heart's not doing well. It's not healthy." And the head of the center basically said, "Well, this isn't a health spa. 
market, <laughs> you know, the uh, some meditation center. And anyway, they uh, they uh, they end up teaching uh, control at an extreme level, and it's not always you know uh, physiologically uh, healthy, but it sure is an interesting state. So well, that's what we're trying to do with this technique is to operationalize it so you don't have to go through the torture to learn how to turn off your cortex by just going more electropositive. Can you talk more about that, John? That's, I mean, it's fascinating. The whole history of it is too, obviously. But what are you guys doing in Minnesota the last couple of years around this? Well, this is just something I came up with in my, my own practice uh, based on what Jay had talked about it in this uh, presentation. It's basically looking at the cortical gradient and rewarding the client for for shifting it more electrically positive. And uh, it's a four channel, four location on the scalp. Uh, you can really pick your locations if you want. Uh, I usually use uh, F3, F4, P3, P4, but you can put it anywhere you like. People learn to shift their cortical gradient very positive and uh, they report all kinds of interesting experiences, feeling like flying, uh, sort of a mild depersonalization experience. Uh, in Minnesota, we have this thing, you know, if a Minnesotan thinks that something is really weird and strange, what we say is, well, that was interesting. <laughs> and so my clients uh, usually have uh, two responses to this training. One is they say, well, that was interesting, but I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> and the others say, wow, that was so cool. I want to do that again. Uh, and the, the latter group are usually the ones who have some experience with meditation. They've been uh, long-term meditators. And this was just a, a sort of another step in their process of learning how to uh, disconnect. I kind of, from my own experience with it, I kind of liken it to uh, what the Buddhists call the no mind state, because really you're, you're there. I, I, you're aware of, of being, but you're not thinking. There's no thoughts going past your mind. And so it's a very, it's a very, I, I loved it. It's a very pleasant experience. And you have time distortion. A lot of time passes and it doesn't seem like any time at all has passed and that sort of thing. So uh, it's, it's an interesting experience. I have screens that, uh, that uh, people can get, but they have to sign a disclaimer because it's very experimental. And I have absolutely no idea what this would do to somebody who, you know, is psychotic or schizophrenic or you know, any, anything else. So I think it needs to be used very carefully. Uh, one of the things uh, that Jay's talking about is these, these guys go through years and years and years and years and years of self-regulation training. And they learn how to get in and out of these states uh, at will. And so uh, if you help them get into this state, you know, in a half an hour, is that, is that good? I mean, is that something that they're prepared for, the, the regular run-of-the-mill client? So... Uh, usually I don't use it with uh, volatile clients. I only use it with people who I've been seeing for quite some time and who have some good history and are pretty stable emotionally and psychologically. And and they want to do it. I mean, they, they say, is there anything else I can do? This has all been very cool and I want to keep going. And is there anything else? And I say, well, there is this other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me show you back here something we have. <laughs> yeah, I got something in the back room here. <laughs> Out back, so, you know. So what symptoms would somebody come in with that you would do that type of training on them with? You know, busy brain. Rumination, perseveration, 
you can't get your brain to shut off. You can't go to sleep at night because your mind is going busy, 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 busy. <clears throat> you know, it's what you'd use alpha theta training for or any other kind of deep states training, but it's a little bit, it's a, sort of another step from alpha theta training because alpha theta training is great and you get into a very nice reverie state, but there's still, you know, it's sort of more like the default mode network state. It's a deeper, it's a deeper state than even the alpha theta is. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the basis of consciousness, basically. The, yeah, the, exactly. The infra low frequency uh, below one Hertz, the slow cortical potential when they're, working with it in Germany, same, same basic signal. And right. it ends up relating to gamma. The infralow frequencies generated by glia. You've got more glia than you've got neurons. And when I learned about the brain, they were all just like structural support and a little metabolic support, but they weren't really part of the operating system of the brain. Well, it turns out that the glia actually orchestrate brain function in a way that it, it turns on and off neural networks so it can engage networks. And uh, basically this very low frequency training is giving you control over that. Now, I refer to the infralow frequency glial signal as the realm of the mind, uh, covert states, intention. Uh, I, I intend to move. Well, I can see that in the premotor area, uh, it goes electropositive uh, when you don't intend to move, it goes electronegative when you intend to move. You can hold your finger, not move it at all, intend to move it, and you can tell when that intention is happening, and then you can quit intending, you didn't move the damn thing one bit. Um, so you can literally track intention, motor intention. Attention is the same thing. Attention is the intention to perceive. So sensory areas like visual or auditory or somatosensory, you can literally tell where they're intending to perceive the attention. Uh, if you pay attention to your body, your face, then your hand, then your foot, there are different spots on the homunculus. And you can literally see the spot that you're intending to perceive light up with electronegativity, the intention to perceive. And motivation, uh, same thing, uh, uh, sensory, uh, uh, sensor, sensate focus, all those things are covert states. They're not overt behavior, they're covert states. And I, I refer to those of the realm of the mind. And when the mind and the brain interact, the brain being neural networks that have ga gamma frequencies in them, then you have consciousness. Mm -hmm. This is the basis for the bispectral index, which is a a patented uh, surgical monitoring technique. If you have same day surgery, you probably have the bispectral index used on you. It, uh, it, it keeps you deep enough so they can do the surgery, not so deep that you're gonna have to spend the night in the hospital and not so light that you're gonna move or remember the surgical procedure. So they hover you deep enough. And that bispectrum basically is a mathematical relationship between infralow frequencies and gamma a very simple mathematical uh, uh, formulation. And uh, that, that measures the depth of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So anything that messes with consciousness is going to end up changing either the infralow frequency or the gamma or both. So things like ayahuasca, uh, which mm -hmm. uh, 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 changes gamma. Uh, the, uh, the first ayahuasca data I saw 
there was actually more gamma than Richard Davidson's work with the meditators, wow. the, Zen, the Zen monks. Um, of, of course, uh, they, they weren't as relaxed as the monks were. Uh, these were people out, uh, they were shamans out in the middle of the uh, ju uh, jungle in the Amazon. Uh, David Stuckey uh, hauled an old lexicor, imagine that, down into the middle of, of, of the jungle and had a uh, had the amplifier uh, strung with extension cords from the village where there was a generator. And uh, they, they had two recordings of ayahuasca people out in the jungle. And, you know, the, 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 he brought all the data back and uh, Frank Eichenhofer, his uh, PhD uh, uh, dissertation chair, basically said, oh, it's all muscle. You know, so he thought he was going to have to get a whole new PhD and I'd written a book on the art of artifacting. And uh, so he brought his data to me and said, just tell me this data is crap and I'll leave you alone. You know, I, I'm sorry to even bring it, uh, but he showed me the data. I said, well, this is not muscle. This is hypersynchronous gamma. And he said, well, Frank says it's muscle. <laughs> He's the PhD dissertation chair. How am I gonna prove that this is muscle? I said, look at the coherence. Muscle's not coherent. And this is hypercoherent gamma. And the temporal area where there is muscle, because they weren't that relaxed, um, that, that area is not coherent. And uh, so he got his PhD off of that. And uh, hmm. uh, Cool. But the, the, the high frequency gamma is neural network property. If you bind a network, gamma is a resonant property of having a network. Uh, it, uh, some people refer to it as the binding rhythm as though it gathered up the network but what happens is the slow cortical potential initiates the network as a, a field potential, basically, uh, uh, at, at distant locations. If you have to instantaneously bind a network, you can't bind instantaneously with a propagated rhythm. You have to bind it with a field effect. And the infralow frequencies are generated as a field. And so, as you said, based on the glia. Yeah. So glia initiate the network. Once the network is formed, Gamma happens as a resonant property of having the network bound. And, and they the do that, that through the gap junctions. Yep. And, and at that point, you have consciousness. So you can predict the presence or absence of consciousness um, uh, quite readily with that uh, very simple metric. Uh, over a decade ago, there were over 9 million surgeries that have been done based on that network uh, property and, and metrics. So um, it, it's quite reliable. You know, when the surgeons base, base their anesthesiology titration based on a number uh, from a little simple box, uh, you, you know, you've got a reliable metric. Thinking a couple of things, one, and maybe pun intended, right? Like this is a mind blowing conversation trying to <laughs> maintain in my consciousness, this, this state of unconsciousness and how to get there, right? And all these things. Thinking of Joe Dispenza, if you guys are familiar with his work, but in general, I'm thinking of folks that do meditate or are maybe maybe focused on trying to do some self-healing through this practice of you know calming the chattery mind, the monkey brain. That's a pretty big yoga term, right? The the aspiration is some monk-like status, right? Where you're sitting up on a mountaintop with your legs crossed, right? And here you are, both John and Jay, talking about some interventions that can, you know, shortcut us there. It's not, it's not ineffective and it's not cheating. It's just we have ways to get there now. And Joe Dispenza, who focuses on um, kind of 
conscious direction of unconscious functioning, right? As, as a way of healing another piece of the puzzle in kind of directing the body to do what it can, right? And so again, it's a, a conscious direction, a meditation on accessing subconscious to then impact kind of unconscious neurological functioning, right? So there's all that. And he's doing a pretty good job of documenting it and being able to do these seminars that he does. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with his work or not, but you know, like a three, four day seminar, someone starts on Monday and then through their meditative practices, along with some, some interventions, you know, ending up Monday with better output, right? So they're, they're speeding up the process too. And I guess all that to ask both you guys, how, how do you see, or, or maybe John directly, right? If you're working with patients, but clients, um, how are you seeing this impacting? I'll just call it healing because it's a wide net, right? For the question, but that's, that's how I'm thinking of all of what you guys are talking about besides it's super cool. Right? Well, I think I'm, what Jay was talking about the intention to pay attention, the intention uh, and the mind uh, directing the attention uh, to the areas that need to be healed. uh, If you're talking about physical healing, but if you're talking about emotional psychological healing, you know, for, for example, people that have experienced trauma, they just never get to rest. They're just on hyper alert all the time because that's what they learned. That was their survival technique. You know, you got to be on hyper alert. So if dad comes in and he's drunk and you know the signs, you get out of his way. Uh, So you don't get hit or whatever the abuse is. And uh, you develop that hypervigilance like soldiers in war. I mean, you have to stay hypervigilant to stay, to stay alive. And then you come back to the world and, you know, you can't turn that off. And so this gives them a mechanism, a tool to help them turn that off. And I think it's very powerful. And all the people like the guy that you're talking about that are doing work with this, I think that's incredibly needed. And the military and the VA are using uh, neurofeedback a lot now and biofeedback generally to help people learn the skill of getting out of that hypervigilant state. I had a guy in one of my classes, he was a, a police trainer, you know, and we hear about this all the time now, these guys, you know, uh, getting all hyped up and then shooting somebody. He said, cops are taught to escalate, but they are not taught to de-escalate. They are not giving, given skills. Uh, they are, you know, taught basically a warrior mentality where you escalate and escalate and escalate and your, you know, your voice rises and your volume increases and your aggression increases and you're trying to dominate the the person that you're uh, the subject or the uh, suspect or whatever. And then when the person backs off and says, okay, yeah, I got my hands up and please don't shoot me and all that. Uh, they they have a hard time backing off of their anger and their hypervigilance and their hyperarousal. And these techniques are all about that, all about helping them to decrease that arousal me, uh, intentionally so that they have control of that, so they have choice. And I think it's something that's so needed in so many areas of function these days. When your emotions are high and your amygdala, which is your emotional processor, is activated with fear or anger or any primary emotion, not not a social emotion like shame or guilt, but a primary emotion, it changes your thalamic gating. And when a sensory input is is presented, 
instead of arriving at about 100 milliseconds, it arrives a little early and the signal that arrives is very large by comparison. So it literally, the, the emotionality makes your nervous system, I, I would refer to it as jumpy. The same input from a normal circumstance doesn't get the same brisk, exaggerated response. Uh, if you have primary emotion activated, you have a jumpy response. Uh, you, you can see that if you do event-related potentials, the, the arrival of the P100 wave is exaggerated. And in PTSD, you, we end up seeing that in the EEG as well. Uh, in the back of the head, there's uh, something called lambda. Uh, lambda is a normal rhythm in the back of the head. Well, it's an event. It's not really a rhythm. And when something is fixed on your retina, you, you're looking at something, the P100, the, the visual arrival is about 100 milliseconds later at the back of your head. Well, visually hypervigilant people, like somebody who's had PTSD, they're, they're always on the lookout for whatever's coming. And they, they end up fixating again and again and again and again. They're hypervigilant. And you see excessive lambda in the back of the head. We identified this first in a group uh, over in Australia, um, but, but it's been validated. Yuri Kropotov write, writes about it in his book on neuromarkers in psychiatry. Um, we also found the right posterior temporal parietal junction in over 250 cases of, of severe traumatized people. We ended up spotting that as a common area as well. And now the, the, the uh, uh, trauma Research Foundation under Bessel van der Kolk's group uh, also see the right posterior temporal parietal junction uh, as a, an important area. That spot identifies things like facial expressions and body language and the emotional tone of speech. If you've had trauma, your thalamus literally is gating or turning down the experience of emotion. So you're, you don't really have the sensitivity to the uh, emotional input. So uh, um, people that have been traumatized, we can see with, especially with the eyes closed, the right posterior temporal parietal junction ends up having excess alpha. And at that point, we can see that they've basically got that area gated or, or shut down somewhat. And unless you actually reactivate that area, they're not fully, you know, they haven't gone through therapy fully yet. Uh, they, they have to re return to full, full perception uh, for uh, full therapy. Not to throw, you know, talk therapy under the bus. I mean, it's, it's where I started and, and, and there's great value in it, right. Being in a, in a relationship with someone who you, you know, trust and, and, and feel safe around and being able to converse and interact. That's a, that's a valuable experience, I think for sure. But, you know, again, both Jay and John, you guys are pointing out that there's things going on under the surface, call it unconsciousness, call it whatever you need to, um, that is driving, you know, behaviors. That's just really hard to get to with, you know, I, I'll say, you know, uh, um, understood or, or predominant methods. And so there's these other ways of getting under the hood, so to speak, that just seem incredibly impactful and effective. And both those words are under, under representing what's going on, right? Like they're, you're getting after what needs to get after. So you can have a better relationship or whatever, right? Bill, Bill Scott talks about uh, doing alpha theta training for addiction disorder clients and that it makes them available for the therapy. Okay. Thank you. 
Yeah, it helps so the brain work so that they that the therapy can work because the therapy is is as you say that relationship is super important. Yeah, but but if they can't let that in, it's not going to happen. Yeah, when we when we wake up the right temporal junction that's got all that excess alpha in it and it's been dampening perception for so long, uh, the first thing that's that you start to perceive is probably a misperception. And it, it, it's, it's like if you put a cochlear implant in a kid. I mean, everybody's happy. They can hear mom's voice. But the first thing after mom's voice and everybody's happy, the kid wants to turn the damn thing off because <laughs> there's so much noise. Yeah. Well, right. um, you've got to leave it on so you'll learn what your auditory environment really has, the richness of the auditory environment. Uh, when you turn back on social perception, the first thing that you start to do is misperceive. So the therapist, the talk therapy relationship is important at that point. Now you've got stuff to work on. Oh, right. uh, he wasn't snarling at you. Uh, that was a misperception. You have, you've got material to work on. But before you woke the spot up, there wasn't any perception. Uh, uh, you know, you might as well try to make somebody who's blind see. You know, you've got to actually open their eyes before you can actually work with the material. So the neurofeedback uh, opens up an area so that therapy can actually access it. If that area is not working, the therapy basically is knocking on the door, but there's, there's nobody answering. So, so Jay, the, when I do recordings, I very frequently see people that have just a huge amount of alpha at T6. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, some some of that is is PTSD, but you can also have the same alpha excess from other things that are emotional misperception. Okay. Uh, the Asperger's trait in autism, where they can't right. perceive, they don't want to look at faces, much less perceive them. Right. Um, the, the same thing with reactive attachment. And although there are some people that say reactive attachments like PTSD, some of it was just being ignored in a crib, not tortured or anything, but just you know, lack of lack of input. So the area never developed. Um, so that there's a number of, of ways you can end up with it, uh, but all of it ends up being social perceptual deficit. And the, the EEG is agnostic about etiology. It, it points to uh, uh, prognosis, not diagnosis. So we see the alpha excess in the right temporal parietal junction. We can fix that, whether it's Asperger's trait and autism or PTSD having been traumatized or um, a, a lack of a, any input uh, early in life. I mean, whatever the deficit came from, we can turn that area back on. And at that point, the, the function resumes. You, you can end up with the area not working from a number of different things, including sometimes a head injury. Mm -hmm. And whatever the source, we can reactivate the area with training. And so when you reactivate it, that's when you need the therapist to help you interpret yeah. what's coming yeah. in. Yeah. Okay. And uh, treatment teams are what we, we do best. You know, um, uh, the, it's not a one trick pony. You, you gotta, it takes a village, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, it, it, it takes a whole bunch of people, supportive individuals uh, to, to end up uh, pulling somebody back from the edge and, um, right. You might have just answered this, Jay, um, and, and both again to Jay and John. Do either of you see a difference on, on the training end, how we got where we got with this individual? Meaning, is there a difference 
in something maybe not developing versus something being turned off, right? And again, if we're talking social perception, just to pick something, is, is there any difference in, in effectiveness of training depending on the etiology of how we got where we got? Does that make sense? Am I, am I being clear? Uh, I, I think there's a subtle difference between uh, some of them. Uh, if, if you have PTSD, the elimination of the resting state in that area is easier than if you have uh, autism since early life. Um, and, you know, P PTSD responds more readily uh, than, than uh, a more severe autism. A significant head injury may have white matter and gray matter. Uh, now, the alpha that we were talking about is a gray matter phenomenon. But if you've got white matter and gray matter, that's going to take longer as well. So the, it's, it's not always um, uh, just that one frequency peak that's problematic. Sometimes you end up with cross-frequency coupled problems, uh, and those become more difficult. Okay. It makes sense. Sure. Makes not, sense. Not impossible. It's just a little right. bit longer. You know, the, the expectation for when you're going to be all polished up and ready to go, um, it, it, it has to be uh, managed a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, you don't want somebody to think that this is a, you know, 20 training sessions and you're done when it's going to take 60. So. And I think you're also speaking to the larger idea that, hey, this isn't a one size fits all, meaning neurofeedback and, and nobody, you know, here is saying so, but just to get that out there too, it's not just a one size fits all. Hey, you had this based on your intake paperwork. So we're going to, you know, plug you in over here and, and, and go. It, it's, it's more nuanced. It's, it's significantly more nuanced than that. The trainings. Always, always specific to the client. So John, are you getting back to normal? Are you getting on the road? What's what's the latest uh, at Stuns? You got this new gig going. Uh, how how can we how can we plug your services? What what are you up to? <laughs> well, Mary Tracy and I put together a thirty six hour online class to take the place of the in person class, and people are liking it. I guess um, you know the nice thing about that. I mean, I, I went to Jay's classes. I, I took a couple of classes from Jay. Well, that video I was talking about, that 2005 ISNR video, I had to watch that about 10 times before I understood what he was talking about. <laughs> and I had to, you know, get out some reference textbooks and dig around and look on the internet. And what the heck is this guy talking about? So people that come to my classes get the same experience. You know, it's like drinking from a fire hose and they say, I can't handle this. And it's too much information in sh too short a time. And here they've got now an online class where they can start and stop the video and go back and say, what did he say? And, 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 you know, in class, you can't do that. You can raise your hand and ask a question, but after a while that gets kind of old. And so people are really liking this format, but they need the hands-on part. Hands-on. So, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're working on doing some two or three day hands-on classes to go with the online course, but I think we'll stay with the online course because I think it's really quite effective. Yeah, definitely do that before they come in to, to see you. Because uh, I remember you running around. I, I know I had my hand up half the time. Hey, well, hey, dummy, you got to turn this. <laughs> now, did I ever uh, say that? No, no, no. I, I think my sister said that to me. So, to to get a hold of your services, it's still on Stens. Do you have another yep. URL to go to? Or nope, just Stens. Stens-biofeedback.com. Okay. Got it. 
And now you started so, you started in '74. I remember Steve Stern with the, <laughs> in '72 when I started. Yep. Uh, he was the head of sales for Autogen, which he bought a whole bunch of apparently. So, uh, yep. but he's he's been in the field forever too, uh, helping out people with hardware concerns and everything since the beginning, basically. So, well, that's how I ran into him. I was trying to buy a set a, a system. I was trying to buy the old uh, bio integrator. Uh, Steve Walls bio-integrator and it's a beautiful system. Love yeah. that system. And uh, I called up this one outfit and I said, Hey, you know, I want to buy this and I have this old autogenics stuff. Uh, will you buy it from me? And then, you know, give me a discount. And he said, sure. And he quoted me a price and I called up Steve Stern and he said, no, I don't want your autogenic system. This is the price for the system. And it was the same price as the other guy had quoted me with the trade-in. And I said, Okay. You know, I'd much rather have an honest guy that I'm working with, even though he's not going to give me a discount, a, a fake discount. He's not going to try right. and uh, snow me. He's just going to say, no, this is the price. You take it or leave it. And I said, I'll take it. So I've had a business relationship with him ever since. And then I started teaching for him in, in 2000. He's a salesman, but he's an honest salesman. And yeah. that's important to me. You got you got to hold on to your credit card tight when you talk to uh, Steve. <laughs> he always has something more to sell you. Now, Pete, you really need this other piece of equipment. You know, right, come on, right. get on, get on board, get on the, get in with the program here. Jim Freeman was the engineer for Autogen, and and uh, I, I knew him well as well. Uh, I, I learned uh, Fourier analysis uh, theory from him, hmm. uh, sitting uh, on 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 the beach in California, watching waves come in. We were talking about decomposing waves and, and hmm. uh, a, a brilliant uh, company that uh, ended up uh, kind of seeing that their market was limited. Uh, they had pretty well saturated the market and Victor, their, uh, their owner uh, basically sold the company. And uh, after that, uh, it was no longer worth its weight in, in Walnut It turned into plastic and, yeah. The, the company faded away. Uh, it was replaced with other companies. But Steve went on to uh, obviously a representative for uh, Nexus uh, line of equipment, which is really uh, it was one. Uh, it was before its time, actually. Um, uh, if you look at the quality of the amplifier chip that's in it, uh, that amp was uh, at a high level fifteen years before uh, anybody else was starting to come close. So yeah. a linear amp from DC to 800 Hertz. Um, so it's a very high quality app. They've got uh, a new amp coming out. It's supposed uh, to be at the end of the Technology mar marches forward. Technology you know? marches forward. That's right. Can't wait to get the dry caps. I, I, you know, I've tried a couple of them. I, I haven't been that impressed. They, they pick up a lot of uh, uh, pulse artifact. Oh, really? That's been my experience. Uh, there's lots of, contact jitter basically yeah. um, movement artifact electrode pops and the uh, so far uh, the the closest one i've seen is the current one out of korea they they seem to have a, a, a pretty good helmet that holds things in place pretty stably uh, spring mounted uh, uh, and you know it's just a pretty solid uh, helmet but they they do a reasonable job uh, I've been unable to really tell whether it's uh, uh, dry sensor versus uh, paste on disc from 
about two thirds of the recordings. Uh, some people with really a lot of hair, giant pile of dreadlocks up on the top of the head and a, and a kind of a top puff ponytail. Somebody walks in the door with one of those, you can't really do dry sensory technology through, through all that. So hmm. there, there's still places where the, the wet sensor stuff is, is required uh, to make good contact, but they're getting better. Uh, the, the Germans have uh, uh, one based on graphene um, that looks like it's promising as well. Uh, it's called G-tech. a top knot. Hey, Jay, that's referred to as a top knot. Hey. Moving uh, forward. <laughs> like, I can t- like I can do one of those, you know? <laughs> <laughs> when you're admiring one from afar, now you know what it's called. <laughs> no, I can get back to C3 and C4 on, on, on a skin now, you know? <laughs> I'm always good well, with that. 0102. I'm good. I'm, I'm I've seen the Korean <laughs> helmet just in pictures. I haven't tried it. I'd kind of like to try it. Uh, well, they've, they've got a handful of them uh, circulating through the U.S. with people giving a try and commenting back mm. to them. Uh, they're doing some final engineering touch-up on them, and uh, they'll, they'll be released at some point. But they also have to figure out what the price is going to be. So uh, 25 the, grand. I'm waiting until you guys pro- give me the thumbs up. Pro- probably somewhere in the twenty thirty thousand dollar range, wow. uh, w- which is you know the, the competitive with the other dry sensor right. uh, full cap systems that are out there. But the Korean one also does photobiomodulation. Uh, e- each of the sensors is also photobiomodulation hmm. uh, location. So hmm. they're uh, they're trying to do a deal where you know ten minutes worth of EEG. They analyze it. They basically prescribe where to do the photobiomodulation, and then they monitor it in kind of a closed loop. Um, you know, uh, stimulate, monitor, stimulate, monitor, and um, uh, and uh, it doesn't require an amplifier. Uh, you can take from the helmet to a phone, and it's analyzed with the AI uh, supercomputer that they have in Korea, and the results come back virtually immediately. Hmm. It's uh, really quite a system. Yeah. I like their database. It's a nice database. Well, I uh, I advise them uh, on you know what app to pick and uh, mm-hmm. the fact that they should keep male and female data separate. Mm-hmm. That um, was nice. And right, and left hand. We we actually have other databases that have said, well, male and female are pretty much the same, so we combine them. <laughs> yes i'm familiar with those you know now that there's actually a full-size database of male and female data you can actually see during the developmental trajectory uh, we end up having uh, uh, dramatic differences between male and female oh yeah and then later in life at about 45 years old on up females light up with gamma and males Mm -hmm. go kind of electro silent uh, for for fast activity about the same age now you combine lots and lots of gamma with hardly any gamma, and what do you got? Well, nothing you want to be compared to. You know, you, you want to be compared to your own cohort, not uh, right. not something that's got a different set of norms. So uh, it, it ended up being good advice. <laughs> uh, they they worked uh, five years collecting data instead of probably two years or two and a half years collecting data if they would have combined them. Because you have to have a certain number of people to characterize a small group, and right. you know if you're you can't collect half a database and call it the male database, and the other half the female, you have to collect full size uh, databases. So it was a For lot of extra one. work. 
Yeah. A lot of extra work. Well, it makes sense. I mean, even in the ages, you know, like five to 10, there's a huge difference in males and oh, yeah. females yeah. in development. Well, if you've ever speed of the peak alpha frequency and all sorts of things. Yeah. The, uh, t- teachers see the, uh, the, the females and the males hit maturational surges at different, different points in time. The ages are, are, are different. And um, you, you see that now you got two groups. They're out of phase with respect to when they have their maturational surge. You combine two lines that are going opposite phase. What do you got? Something that ought to be compared to, you know, the, you want to be yeah. compared to the maturational surges of the male or the female, whatever is appropriate to you. They're also doing some interesting work on people going through trance, you know, hmm. uh, uh, trance males uh, specifically. And uh, they're, they're looking at uh, the, the, the shift during the, the shift in brain activity uh, during the transition, you know, a, a very interesting you know, project. Um, hmm. So, but they're, they've, you know, you have to have that data in order to be able to address that question. So, so, so us guys should train some more gamma? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, us guys in the over 45 uh, uh, category probably need to take a good close look at, uh, at high frequency content to see whether we still are activating those neural networks in the same way. Hmm. That's a nice way to say it, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a great show. Oh, my God. I don't even know what I'm going to – what's the headline going to be? What's the title of this one? Just Jay and John going at it. What? <laughs> over four, over 45 uh, males talking, yeah. <laughs> talking about it. John Anderson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to see you. It's been too long, and uh, I don't get out anymore. So uh, It's good to see you is, too, Jay. This is about the only way I get out. So – uh, you're, you're looking well. Thank you. You are too, actually. I have to uh, say, uh, well. the beard and the eye patch suit you <laughs> quite well. <laughs> when well, people tell me I'm looking well, I know they're just lying. You know. No. <laughs> I'm from Minnesota. I, I stay happy. I stay happy, and that's what counts. You know. Yes. John in Minnesota. We're gonna. We're going to put all the links uh, in the podcast that we talked about and let's see if we can get a hold of Fred to get some of your partners uh, to come on too and ha- have a little yeah. chat as well. Yeah. You'd, you'd have a good time talking to Fred or John Davis. Yeah, John um, Davis. But, yeah. And have you talked to Nick Dorcas? Have you had him on? We have not. No. Oh God. You should have him and Tiff on. They've got lots to say. I will reach out and I'll say, John said so. okay we thank you all for listening to neuro noodles neurofeedback and neuropsychology podcast dr laura can be found at jansons.com dr skip can be found at drskipren.com and jay gunkelman well there's only one jay gunkelman on google we'll put all the links in the in the show notes idea for a topic please email pete at neuronoodle.com please give us five stars on apple podcast smash that like button on facebook instagram and follow us on twitter If they can't hear us, we can't help them. Cue the copyrighted music.